Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and Sarah Shepherd of Coach's Voice. Now, according to that hoary old cliche, a week is a long time in politics. In football, it's an eternity. The past week hasn't been kind to Tottenham. Two defeats and unconvincing draw in the North London derby. Doubts are suddenly crowding in. They've got a three-goal cushion in the Champions League on Tuesday, but are they hitting the wall just as they play in front of Dortmund's yellow wall. Alarm bells ringing, Johnny? I guess so. I mean, the f- that first leg lead is now looks pretty necessary for them because 3 nils are a decent margin. It should be enough. But you wouldn't fancy them in their current state to, to be going somewhere um, to, to get a result to win just because I think the creativity's dried up for Spurs. I think they look a little bit low on energy, which is always important to their game. Um, and they're in, you know, one of these moments. I think they confront every year where the reality of their their squad size, their budget, and all that sort of stuff starts to tell. I mean, we've, we've known about Spurs for years that if the two or three main players aren't creating, they they just don't quite have the resources to get through these difficult periods the way other clubs have, and they're in one of those troughs at the moment. Mm, I suppose if you're looking to sort of define burnout, Sarah, Christian Eriksen, 250 starts mm. since August. Uh, 2014 too much yeah well, you'd, you'd have to think so and he's such an important player for Spurs you know when he's not performing when he's not creating Spurs it just looks like a real struggle and, and at the weekend I think we, we saw a bit of that the mental physical all of that fatigue it looks like it's starting to show you know whether he's thinking about moving on or and that's playing a role I don't know but they definitely definitely are starting to show now those signs of fatigue, individual players that have had not just busy summers, but busy years. Mm, I suppose we're we're coming to the stage, aren't we, Johnny, where almost like football's law of natural selection takes over. Mm. Someone like Ericsson knows he can go to to Spain. Mm. You've got someone like Harry Kane, and he's beginning to make noises, isn't he? And where do we get to the point between admirable loyalty and understandable ambition to go and win things? Yeah, it's a really difficult question, the whole thing about loyalty in football, the way that supporters expect the managers and players to show the same loyalty that they show as fans, and how can that be their fans for life, whereas these guys are doing a job on, by its nature, short-term contracts, and they've got a finite time to have a career and to win things and so on. It would be natural for Harry Kane at some point 
you know, growing up as a player, reaching his mid-twenties, which he kind of is now, 25, I think, 24, that he would now start to wonder, here are my peak years, what am I going to achieve, what am I going to be left with? Even Steven Gerrard thought about leaving Liverpool very, very seriously, and that's about as committed to a club as you can get emotionally. Mm. Um, Matt Lowe had a very interesting piece about this on Saturday in the, in the Telegraph, where he talked about teammates of Harry Kane being concerned that Kane might be thinking about leaving in a couple of years' time. I mean, maybe I'm using my imagination here, but if, if Harry Kane was unhappy himself and wanted to get a message out, then that's perhaps the way that mm. a story might get written to just Not push. many fingerprints all over it. Not many it? fingerprints. <laughs> or perhaps if Harry's people... That was a good way to put it. I'm not saying that's how the story came about, but I think what it shows and what the message of that story was was that he will give it another year or two he can't leave certainly when they go to a new stadium and probably doesn't want to leave mm. but he's not going to hang around forever he's such an ambitious sort of driven character that that doesn't surprise me he's personally ambitious wants to win golden boots wants to be the best striker there is uh, that's what drives him and of course that's going to extend to trophies and Ericsson quickly is is vulnerable because he hasn't signed a new contract. So he, he may be the first of them to really be vulnerable to a move. Mm. And do you think we could then get into a domino situation, one domino goes and then the whole lot are queuing up behind them to leave? That, that will be the fear um, and also linked to that Pochettino's future. Mm. Um, mm. He's the obviously the, mm. the big one. You know, if he goes, then that for me spells danger in terms of those players um, staying because a lot of them... They're so emotionally tied in with Pochettino and the way that he is as a manager, I think, sort of breeds that sense of loyalty. And if they see him perhaps being loyal, as we call it, and, mm. and sticking around, then they're more inclined to do the same, maybe. But playing devil's advocate, and we saw how Spurs played without Harry Kane. Yeah. Is it even in their interest to, to maybe sell him? Mm. I mean, maybe it's a stretch. You know, you might get more out of Son. You might see those other mm. players step up, plus you get obviously huge amounts of money from, from but the politically they couldn't get away with that could mm. they yeah, the especially fans. with that fan base we've had to put up with Wembley all season yeah that, that's true the fans would yeah. would take some placating <laughs> I mean I did, I did think about Son on Saturday when I was at Wembley you're right sir that, that, that he in the period when Harry Kane was out he was more focal he was freer and he probably enjoyed himself more but I think I think overall the Spurs team with Harry Kane being the goal machine is going to be stronger but the situation does make me think of Arsenal when they were moving to their new stadium and it's not that they all left en masse but just like the threads of the fabric were picked away year after year you know mm. Fabregas, Van Persie they just went sort of one by one and Arsenal's decline from about 2008-9 when they were Champions League quarter-finalists nearly semi-finalists it was a semi-finalist weren't they and when United beat them to kind of where they ended up which was struggling in the Europa League was you know, it was a steady decline and it was just clubs plucking player after player and them not quite having the resources or scouting or whatever it was to re replace them properly. And that, that's the, what Spurs have to look at and avoid. Mm. And, and if you look at a team as a, as a jigsaw puzzle, there are certain pieces which are no longer an easy fit. You look at Kieran Trippier, for instance, mm. it's almost as if that World Cup form was a bit of a mirage as he's almost like reverted to type. I mean, he had a good season last season, I think, mm. um, which took him into the World Cup, where he obviously he had a he had a great tournament. So I think it's possibly a bit unfair to say he's re reverting to type. I think maybe that that full season and then the summer after it has impacted on him, like we said, in terms of fatigue, mental or physical. Um, he's definitely in a bad patch uh, of form. 
but if anyone can kind of bring him out of it, I'd, I'd kind of say Pochettino is probably the the man who potentially could do that and, and is trying to do that. But what do you think the messages are like coming from Pochettino at the moment? I think it's been a change in tone over the last three or four months. Probably a good change in tone because he seems now more focused himself on the time is now. We've done our building phase. The time to cash in or, or to achieve something is now. And I think he's been a little bit harder with his messages in defeat or when there have been draws. You know, he spoke about it again last week about his worry that it suppose, didn't quite have the right mentality. He seems to be trying to drive them on. But of course, that makes you wonder whether he's now starting to get restless himself. And, and there are various situations elsewhere that may impact on that, as we know. I think he has to be like that for Spurs to take that final step. But if he's really like that and they don't win, that's mm. when fans worry. OK. I suppose Spurs are, are fortunate in as much as that Dortmund are going through their own poor spell. They lost to Augsburg on Friday evening. They are only, I think it's a, a goal difference of plus two now ahead of Bayern Munich after having that advantage. So if we say that Spurs are have got them at the right time. What about Manchester United and PSG? In a sense, was that defeat at Old Trafford in the first leg the first sign that maybe we need to take a broader view of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mm. and, and his management? I think, I think it's quite harsh to judge him on that, yeah. that yeah. game against PSG, who are among the best squads in have mm. you know one of the best squads in Europe yes they were missing Neymar and Cavani but you know the players they've still got Mbappe mm. Verratti etc they're still well up there um, so I think it's probably a bit harsh to judge them and that what it was was a reminder perhaps of of how far behind United have fallen behind Europe's elite squads in terms of the availability mm. of players they've got also obviously they lost Lingard and Martial after mm. the first half then which you know, most managers would feel the impact of that. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's hard to judge him on that. It will be interesting to see what he does this week in terms of the return leg. They're really hamstrung, to put, mm. <laughs> put it one way, by, <laughs> by injuries and obviously Pogba's suspension. Um, so it's not going to be easy. But PSG, I think, are 20 points clear yeah, <laughs> at the top yeah. of Liga. Um, so interesting <clears throat> from their point of view as well. I, mean, I, mean, I, I thought it did raise a question, but I just think he's answered the question. You know, the question was what's going to happen when this incredible momentum stalls. Yeah. And are well, you flexible enough to work around the problems? Absolutely. And, 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 and I think since then, he's pulled off an incredible result against Liverpool with the resources that he had. And, and you know, again, with injuries and so on, pulled it off at the weekend. And that sort of confidence and assurance and, and all that sort of stuff he's brought to the job didn't, didn't waver one bit with PSG, which... I think it's, it's, it's almost a feather in his cap how he's recovered from that. He'll try and win the game. He could sort of calculate that the tie's gone and so on, but I think the mentality he's got, he'll, he, it's the old Fergie thing, he'll, he'll believe he has a chance and he'll, he'll have a go. Mm. Ferguson's thing was always, let's get the first goal and then yeah, see what happens. And I think Solskjaer will be saying exactly that to the mm. players before the game. Because there is always that undercurrent of almost underachievement at PSG with all the money that's been lavished on that project they've still not actually produced in the way that you know the amount of money being spent on it suggests it should yeah and that's where the pressure is coming in uh, on Tuchel you know the the defeat to Barcelona was it two years ago when they mm. were 4-0 up that's from right, the yeah. first leg crazy. Uh, that has kind of left a bit of a, a stigma almost of flakiness 
in the Champions League and that they, I think Tuchel has already talked about that and how they need to prove that that is not part of their makeup, not part of their mentality. So they will definitely be going all out, I think, to prove that they're mentally strong enough to close this out. Mm. What about RPSG potential winners? Yeah, they are. I mean, what, what, what a great side they are, what a great squad they have. Possibly the strongest round in Europe at the moment, you'd have to say, with the slight decline at Barca and, and, and um, Bayern and so on. They haven't even come close, that's the thing. I mean, they, they've not even mm. been in the semis, they haven't been in touch, you know, they haven't been pushing at the final, let alone winning it. And, and they really should be a lot closer, given the investment. But yeah, I, I, I think Tuchel is also a pretty decent operator. I think in Mbappe, they've got a guy that can win things on his own. He's so good. And, and if Neymar comes back and is in his top form, then that, that's incredibly potent. And given the decline elsewhere, you'd have to say them and City are on paper favourites. When you look at, um, you know, look around, Real Madrid, you know, they're, they're protecting a 2-1 lead over Ajax. They're having a poor season domestically, capped off by a defeat in El Clasico at the weekend. What do you make of Gareth Bale's situation there? It's interesting and I think it's getting more interesting by the week. I think he was booed off after the mm. game on Saturday and the statistics for his 60 minutes were pretty dire um, in terms of touches on the ball, impact on the game was close to you know zero impact basically and from everything that you hear coming out of of Real Madrid comments about him not being able to communicate with his teammates in Spanish they've nicknamed him the golfer apparently because yeah, he's, he they're supposedly yeah, obsessed yeah, yeah. Um, and you know not going for dinner with his teammates because they eat too late little things that you can kind of see this separation mm. between him and his teammates and that doesn't normally end well mm. um, if, if a player is kind of being separated off like that. And obviously, we saw, um, I think it was last week, after he scored a goal, him kind of shrugging off his teammates in terms of celebration. So he doesn't look happy. <laughs> this, this was his chance. With Ronaldo going, this was his chance to become the, the focal point of Real Madrid. It might not be his fault, but the bottom line is he hasn't taken it this year, and that will define the rest of his mm. Real Madrid career. But, but do we underestimate the scale of his achievement in terms of yeah. you know, four Champions Leagues, so I'm, 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 yeah, a very, like, very, very big politically free, febrile club. He's an incredible player. He's, he's the best British player of, of, of his generation, without a shadow of a doubt. And I'm only talking about failure to emulate Ronaldo. That's, mm. you know, I think nearly every footballer in the world fails to do that. So that's <laughs> not, it's not a big thing. But I, I just mean that in Real Madrid terms, the stage was set, the spotlight was there for him to go there. And whether it's personality, whether it's the injuries, whether it's just not quite as a player, as dominant a footballer as Ronaldo, maybe all those three things, he hasn't been able to do it. But it doesn't mean he's not an extraordinary footballer. And I'll never forget the Champions League final last year. I mean, what, what, what a moment that was. That shows he's a big player. It's not that he, it's not that he lacks that element of... Been able to um, he's not, win things. He's not cowed by the occasion. Not is at it? all. And look what he's done for Wales. He's carried those burdens. Mm. But that's a difficult job. Being the symbol of Real Madrid, you know, you're talking about De Stefano, you're talking about Raúl in, in, in a different era. But Trigueño, it's, it's not easy, and he hasn't been able to do it. Mm. Do you expect him to come back to England? Yes, I know. I don't know where else he would. Go, who can afford to pay his wages um, will be the interesting thing. There's probably City, yeah. but you know United, whether. But I, yeah. don't, I think that's gone. Yeah. yeah. Do you think United's gone? 
I think it has, yeah. Um, I, I expect I expect Solskjaer to get that job, but if he doesn't, it would be Pochettino and either of them would look to build with a younger team and particularly with those younger players up front, Martial, Lingard and Rashford. So I just think the vacancies probably closed. Mm, mm. If you look at Man United, they're in the Martin Keown derby at the weekend, aren't they? <laughs> um, what sort of state are Arsenal in? Are they finding an identifiable style and a sense of identity? That, that's quite difficult to say yes to because Emery changes his hmm. uh, approach quite a lot. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Arsenal have become uh, more flexible in terms of the way they play. The players are learning to play in different formations a bit better than perhaps they did under Wenger where everything stayed the same quite a lot until until the end and then when when Wenger changed it they didn't look all that comfortable mm. I thought against Spurs um, they stuck to the game plan really well and they looked probably stronger as, as strong as I've seen them all season so I think there are signs that, that Emery's way is starting to rub off on the players defensively the problems persist mm. um, I think that's really an area that they're going to have to look to strengthen um, Mustafi's oh, He's a, an accident waiting to happen isn't he? Yes. Well I mean, I was there on Saturday. It was a very Mustafi performance because <laughs> it was OK for large parts, you know, combative, getting close to Harry Kane and all that sort of stuff. And then he just does something idiotic and, that, and something lacking And that's kind of there. typical. Like, he has yeah. a, good, a good game, but then he yeah. just lets himself down with one yeah. moment of madness. Mm. Mm. Very Thir frustrating for the fans. £37 million. Pounds. As you said, you were at Wembley. What was the mood like amongst... Not just the fans, who are notoriously fickle at Arsenal, let's be honest. Mm. Um, but amongst the group afterwards and, you know, when, when Emery was talking. It was, it was a funny one that despite missing the, the late penalty, Arsenal came away, I think, with more of a feeling of victory than, than Spurs did. That seemed to be the, the mm. vibe from the fans and Emery was... Um, em Emery's grown into... British life and British football, I think, is it. His language has improved and he's noticeably more relaxed in, in front of us in those press situations and, and I think able to get his message across more, which for a meticulous man, I think, probably gives him confidence. And, and I think there was a happiness that they'd gone in the derby away from home, difficult place, and had been able to surprise the opposition with a little bit of a different game plan. And, you know, logic would tell them that... They deserve to win because they, they, you know, would have expected to put that penalty away, and and Emery was pretty pleased about it afterwards. Mm. We're in uh, Europa League week. It's the Peter Cech testimony <laughs> against uh, against Wren on Thursday. I suppose this also applies to Chelsea. Is that the competition that they need to win for Arsenal? Arsenal and or Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it, it's a trophy. Emery's shown you know he's capable of winning it mm, um, yeah. he's got success in it he knows how to win it and both I think Arsenal have got Ren like you said and Chelsea Dinamo Kiev which they will I think expect to win I think the strongest teams aside from that is probably you've got to look at Napoli um, mm -hmm. who lost to Juventus last night but they're you know they're looking pretty strong this season uh, under Ancelotti so I think for both Arsenal and Chelsea they'll see this as a, a winnable competition and you know for Emery how Amazing would it be for him to win a trophy in his first season, a European trophy. Mm. Perfect start. And with the United game at the weekend, I mean, that, that, that's going to go a long way to defining Arsenal's top four situation. In fact, you know, Chelsea in a slightly better position anyway, but 
obviously the Champions League would, would be an enormous achievement to, to qualify for whichever way you do it for, for either manager mm. given it's their first season and they've been fraught with difficulties in different ways mm. What do you make of the Chelsea situation two points off the top mm. four with a game in hand uh, yet still there's this sort of sense of impermanence about the whole yeah. place I mean I think you've got to wind back to the start of the season where Chelsea were playing so well that you thought they might even be title contenders so I think in terms of their capacity as a team they are they should be probably top three in terms of quality and they're not so yes they've rallied recently but where they are is a bit of a failure for me and there is this kind of fragile air to it because of the fragility of Sarri's position and the fragility of his authority and that was that was the case before the the Kepa situation and I don't think the questions from, from that have gone away so yeah a couple of wins great but we're still thinking what happens when things go against them a little bit what does the crowd do with Sari? what do the players do do they down tools again what happens next time Jorginho is pressed I mean there's, there's, I don't think any of these questions have gone away about them mm. with that Kepa situation Sarah was it making a point you know he's had one game on the naughty step let's put it like that was it making a point or was that just an empty gesture uh, I think it, it was Sarri making his point. Um, you know, he he kind of said, you know, the club has fined him. That's the club's punishment. I've dropped him, and that's my punishment. I think for him, it was probably bringing him back for the weekend. Was saying, right, that's an end. That's an end to the situation. We've dealt with it, and now we we have to move on. Football moves on very quickly in lots of ways. But if he hadn't done that, then there would have still been a lot of talk about the situation. Um, also, you know, Caballero played really well when he came in, so he's also shown Kepa that although he's first choice, there, there is competition. So if he doesn't toe the line, then, then there will be someone to take his place who's, who's a decent stand-in. So I think for Sarri, it was about showing that the, they're moving on. But if I was Sarri, he'd have been playing under-23 football at the weekend. No yeah. doubt about it. I wouldn't have had him near the team. I don't think one game's enough. Even if you've been pragmatic, Fulham was a winnable game, one one that they could put Caballero in for. Don't think Kepa's been a you know, sensationally good anyway. It's not like he's Edison or De Gea and he's he's demanding to be included in any case. But I just think in terms of internal discipline, Alex Ferguson would would have sold a player for that. I'm sure of it. Mm. Other managers of a similar mentality with putting the group above everything else, I think would have done would have done too and, and it's baffling how easily Kepa's been allowed back in, really. Well, I suppose you know, you've had teammates publicly acknowledging his apology and saying, well, OK, you know, yeah. let's, let's move on. But that smacks of a crisis management oh, okay. strategy to me, to be honest, uh, if I'm not being too cynical. Yeah, and, and where's, where's Kepa fronting up into the cameras and giving us a proper interview about this? I mean, we've got his mate saying he's, he's sorry, we've got a bit of him on social media, we've got him saying he's made a mistake. It's not a particular... He hasn't put himself out there to, to show repentance or apology. He hasn't convinced me that he's that sorry about it. it. It just smacks of the club trying to protect an asset, a £70 million player, and everyone trying to move on from a sticky situation. But sometimes you've got to confront a sticky situation as a manager. And I just think he's, I think he's failed to do it. And I think that, that, that lack of authority is probably why Kepa thought he could do what he did in the first place. Let's look at Fulham. You know, they, they had a pretty simple 2-1 win over them on, on Sunday. Ranieri was given 106 days. You know, we talked about you know, others reverting to type. 
did Ranieri eventually revert to type after that wonderful one season at Leicester? Premier League winning manager, yeah. Um, yeah. The job he did at Leicester was phenomenal. Um, it's very quickly kind of forgotten or, or cast aside. But you're, you're not wrong in that when you look at his CV going into Leicester, you know, he'd had a couple of jobs that were, were over pretty quickly. I think Fulham was, was just a difficult situation to go into because of, you know, it's been talked about a lot, the recruitment that was done there, um, the squad that is, seems kind of bloated, players that perhaps, you know, haven't gelled and players that have been cast aside after getting the team up into the Premier League. It's a really difficult situation. And while he did, I think in the beginning, you know, the, the results were positive. Like you said, they've, they've fallen off, they've stopped scoring. Um, as many goals as they were under Jukanovic, um, which was, well, it wasn't enough to save them because of the goals they were leaking. But, um, but yeah, uh, reverting to type, I think, is, is a bit harsh. <laughs> a bit harsh, OK. <laughs> but if you look at... Um, Scott Parker's gone in there. Yeah. Um, interesting that in a little sort of semi-jibe, uh, Mourinho's talking about... Um, he doubts whether managers like Parker or Ole Gunnar... Mm -hmm. Uh, will have long-term success. Is is someone like Parker, who's talked a lot and very yeah. impressively about the, the <clears> club's <throat> traditions, they're obviously planning for the championship. Yeah. Will he get a chance? I think he might get a chance, almost for, for the same reasons as, as United going for Solskjaer, because that, that's a football club that needs to reconnect with its own culture and values in it and, and it's drifted away from that over a chaotic year and it, it needs a dose of, I mean, Darren Moore going into West Brom at, at the time he did, it, it probably needs a needs a dose of that uh, and I, I just think what it's shown us is the importance of, of recruitment quite obviously I think Ranieri at Leicester went into a really really strong situation it was there for him and he did an incredible job but he wasn't the you know he didn't kind of pull it out of a hat there was a background to it but in, and in the same way he's come into a, a just badly put together dysfunctional squad team that's lost its even sense of how it's supposed to play because the tactics lineup would change so much, personnel had changed so much, fans discontented about what they were seeing, and and also the man to, to the, do it. Their pricing strategy, Johnny. You know, the, the tickets are very high. Yeah. I, I uh, uh, Seb, uh, who, who you know appears on here, I, I noticed a tweet for him yesterday where he yeah, said he, he, he got a, a bag of um, Maltesers. Other chocolates are available, by the way, for three pound forty or three pound sixty. Mind or something. you, the, we, you should do a podcast on the price of sweeties at football matches. <laughs> when I take my daughter to Leicester, pack of opal fruits is about the same as well. It's incredible. Match programs cheaper these days, so that's probably a Premier League thing. But yeah, and, and that, that's that's a big, big element of Fulham is is how close they have always been their fans. How how the cottage was always a bit of a throwback. You know, a, a real sort of real place not a plastic Premier League place and, and it's sad that, that those elements have sort of crept in under the ownership but I'm not surprised really it, this, everything about them smacks of trying to be a glitzy Premier League club but not but do it do it too fast and they've lost what made them Fulham in the first place mm. in that way it would be quite nice to see Scott Parker get yeah. the opportunity yeah. you know, something similar to what Gary Monk did with Swansea yeah. you know he, he knew that club he knew mm. that dressing room yeah. um, and I think Scott Parker's got the same kind of attachment and, and the fans have the same attachment to him so if he can have success that could go a long way even, you know, even if it is in the championship which it probably will Absolutely. be yeah. talking of too fast was 
Brendan Rogers too eager to get down, <laughs> <laughs> leave Glasgow in a, in a trail of dust. Um, <laughs> yeah, someone tweeted to me that he, it's his new dream job, Leicester, you know, <laughs> the, the old dream job was Celtic. Yes, is, is the answer. I mean, I'm not surprised at what's happened and, and I'm sad about it as a, as a Scot that this is where Scottish football is, that sadly being manager of the biggest club in Scotland at the moment isn't as good as being manager in the top half of the table and the Premier League, that, that's, that's kind of a fact in football's hierarchy. It's unpalatable for Scots, but that's where we are. But could he have waited till the end of the season? Yes. Could he have given the fans their treble treble? Uh, yeah. Would Leicester have waited? Yeah, probably. It was a bit unseemly. I don't think he even said goodbyes properly at the training ground. And He talked about how he's not deluded at the weekend, but it is deluded to think that Celtic fans won't punish him for this. That aside, badly handled, I can understand why he's done it. I just think you should have waited. Because mm, they are set up perfectly, that club, in terms of, you know, a new £100 million training ground on the, on the horizon. You've got owners who will invest and have invested. I think it's probably tempered now. You know, the, the, I think people realise they're not going to go and win the Premier League again. But they could be a consistent top six challenger, couldn't they? Yeah, um, like you said, a very well-run club. Um, got some good young players coming through. I think the squad probably does need some attention in the summer, which is maybe one of the reasons why Brendan wanted to come in before the summer mm. to, yeah. to see what was there and, and what he has to do in the transfer window to, to make it a, a Brendan Rodgers team. But yes, you, you would have to think they've got, they've got the resources and, and the infrastructure there to challenge along with... Um, possibly someone like Wolves. And, and, you know, aside from how it's handled, it's a tremendous appointment for both sides. It's a, it's a club that's ideal for Brendan Rodgers, I think, who's always wanted, fancied himself, uh, maybe replicating what he did at Swansea, but in the top league, you know, having a chance to build something and impose himself and develop players, and he'll do that. And, and it's a squad that's really well set up for him and, and a club, as Sarah says, that is really well run. I think it will be very successful. And... You know, there'll be a team that everyone admires except for in the East End of Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I think he probably made it quite clear the way he wants to play in terms of, you know, 3 4 2 1. There are little things that he needs to work out. Why are Leicester the worst team in the Premier League for conceding goals in the last 15 minutes? You know, I know they, they lost in the 92nd minute at Watford, mm. but that tells you mm. is there something wrong with the mentality of the squad? Mm. Yeah, conceding early goals. Um, yeah, um, it's a pattern, isn't it? Um, it's a bit like Arsenal were in terms of earlier in the season in terms of having average or bad first halves and coming back in the second half. It becomes a almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like we can come back, so it's fine. So yeah, that's that's probably one of the first things he'll he'll look to address. One of the other questions that I've heard been raised about Brendan uh, and his approach is is how good or how open he is to working with other people in terms of mm -hmm. looking at transfers. Yeah. I've heard it said that at Liverpool he wasn't that open to, no, he wasn't. to um, sort of listening to other people's views and taking those on board. So that'll be interesting at Leicester, yeah. I don't know. That, that, that's a really good point. I mean, although I'm saying it's going to be wildly successful, it will only be successful if he develops a good relationship yeah. with Eduardo Masia as, as director of sporting director, I think Jordan, no. John Rodkin's sporting director, but yeah, in terms of the transfers or whoever replaces Massey if he goes, because the club is set up for, for that rather than the autonomous manager mm. situation. Mm. Let's look at a club that's set up for the rest of the season, Manchester City. Do you expect them now 
now they have that advantage over Liverpool to go and ram it home. I expect in the next few games them to ram it home. But the, the way the fixtures are in, have worked out is interesting. If you look at City's last four or five games, they're really pretty tough. They, I think they play United and Spurs consecutively. They, they have to play Leicester, who are a bit of a bogey team for them. I think they go away to Burnley, maybe Brighton. It's, it's not a straightforward running for them, whereas Liverpool, if they can get through the next two or three games, they've got a quite a benign run-in, so it flips. I, I actually think, and I wrote about this at the weekend, that if Liverpool can keep pace with City, I don't think they have to be ahead going into the last four games for it to be a really sort of 50-50 title race. I think they just need to be a point or two points behind. And Liverpool play a lot of fixtures before City play, again, because of the City catching up with the Cup. So there's a scenario where City could... Uh, actually find themselves behind again just because of the way the fixtures have worked out and then facing this quite difficult run-in. So it's not over at all. City are in, in, a, in the box seat now, but it's not over. What about the attitude of potential op or opponents to City? You look at Bournemouth on Saturday, conceded 82% possessions, allowed 23 shots and didn't have a single shot on target themselves. And Eddie Howe, as good as admitted that he was scared to open up because he thinks he would get taken apart. Will that play a factor in the running? Possibly. I mean, they did, you know, it was only 1-0 in the end. And yes, the statistics were mm. incredibly, horribly one-sided. But I don't think every team will go out to play City like that. I think, it's, you know, they've, they've, they have been shown to be fallible. You know, there was went through a patch around Christmas or just after Christmas. Mm. Um, I think from Eddie Howe's point of view, you have to look at, put it into context of their recent run, and the goals they've, the amount of goals they've conceded, I think Eddie Howe probably thought, mm. felt that another battering like that would, you know, with his squad possibly already mm. at a low point in terms of self-belief and yeah. confidence, would have been a nail in the coffin, if you like. Yeah. So he he went all out to try and stop that, which which they kind of did. Um, one nil is not a terrible result, but yeah, the performance was. Mm. What about Liverpool, Johnny? Could they be their own worst enemies in all this, in terms of the emotional intensity that comes with that club? Yeah, they have to navigate that. There's no doubt about it. They've, this has been part of their story for since I've covered it. First covered Liverpool 2001, and they were going for a title under Julie, and Julie had his you know, heart problem that year, and it became an incredibly emotional season, and they fell short in, in both two or three competitions, I think. Four, five, yeah, and 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 they they fell short, and then there was Rafa's reign, and Rafa used emotion, but it didn't quite work for them when they had a title challenge in 2008-9, It is part of the story, and and if Liverpool are going to be different to this Liverpool team, they're just going to have to, I guess, tune it out. But Klopp's perfectly aware of that. I think that's why he's been. You know, so definite about maintaining this line that, that we're strong, we're fine. There's nothing, there's no problem. He was doing it even after the derby. He was doing it after the draw, and that that there's a big difference between that and what you see on the touchline, the demeanour on the touchline. But it's like he comes in and he he quite consciously wants to dial it down. It's it is it's a, it's an issue and it's a problem for them. But that's not to say they can't do it because Manchester United faced the same and 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 eventually did it, of course, under Ferguson. But it, it's that extra hurdle, I think, that they face in front of them. Mm. They've got to get Salah firing, and the whole front three, the situation seems a bit fluid. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and I noticed on Twitter this morning you were admiring his home gym. Gym, yeah, I'm very jealous uh, of that. Um, 
you know, would him coming back, you know, there's talk about him playing anything on the 23s next weekend, would that be the sort of boost that they would require in the running? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see him back in the first team. I think it's asking a lot for him to be the man that wins them the title. He's been out for, I think, 11 mm. months. Mm. Um, mm. And he's had injuries before so I think Klopp's saying all the right things in terms of we're not bringing him back just for one game we're building him for the future you know he's a player that we want long term to be fit and healthy so mm. I don't think he will rush but he's the kind of player that injects you know that little bit of excitement that little bit of pace from midfield that mm. perhaps they're they've been missing and I think it's that that creative spark in midfield is is really been shown to be to be lacking from Liverpool especially at the weekend. Mm-hmm. How do you get Salah back? I, I feel for Salah, but there's no doubt you know, he's won goal in seven games and, and that's by far the worst run of his Liverpool career. And, and you know he had a couple of, particularly one good chance against Everton that he didn't take. I think the other one was a brilliant Michael Keane tackle. He's actually played really well in, in, in some of the recent games creatively, just hasn't been scoring. And, and I, I, there's a lot being put on him. I, I, don't th- I really don't think it's, he's the problem, I think. It's much wider than that. They're not creating enough. There's not been enough pace in their game. Sarah said that the Oxley Chamberlain might, if he's if he can get back to fitness, create that. But you know, if you think about how they create chances, Liverpool, it's quick turnovers of possession and then bang a, a counterattack that plays someone in. And that was how Salah got a lot of goals last season. Those situations aren't coming to him anymore. He's getting the ball in a static position. He's having to beat people to try and score and, and you know Firmino for example is not, not scoring and or creating enough either the only one that's really stepping up is, is Mane so I, I just think Salah's become a symbol of the sort of where they've run aground but it's not he's not the problem he's, he, he, he'll be he'll be alright if the teams start creating more chances and just opening teams up a bit more Okay. If you look at the Watford game, it was his oh, you know, yeah. combining with Trent Alexander-Arnold that really, he didn't score in that game no. but it, he helped create so many of those chances that led to Led to goals. Mm. So you have to maybe look at the bigger picture, but yeah, a lot of Liverpool fans will be disappointed the fact that he's not scored. Yeah, three, but three the now. one thing you can say about him, when you, you, know, you look at his performances for Egypt as well, he's not afraid of responsibility. No. He responds to it, doesn't he? Yeah, he doesn't hide, um, that's for sure. You know, he'll be disappointed with himself that he's not been on the score sheet, but, but yeah, looking at the bigger picture, he's still performing yeah. and that, that that Pickford one the weekend by the way was a great save as well wasn't yeah. it it wasn't it wasn't he didn't fluff the chance as, as such brilliant yeah. save yeah. some questions from the listeners and the viewers Liverpool one from Michael Murphy whatever happens with Liverpool's title challenge this year their progress now seems to be sustainable in large part due to Klopp but also behind the scenes looking at f- recent financial results do we give Michael Edwards enough credit at Liverpool no, I mean, Michael Edwards has been phenomenal for that club. I, in concert with Mike Gordon, the, the, the owner, um, if, if you look at the, 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 the squad that's been put together, self-financed in many ways by sales, yes, Coutinho is a windfall, but his engine had some incredible, you know, Jordan Ibe to Bournemouth for 18 million, Kevin Stewart for 10 million or whatever, and then picking up the, the Andy Robertsons and the Shaqiris on the cheap. It hasn't just been the sort of bigger transfers. I think Edwards has been fantastic and, and works closely with Klopp. You know, it's, it's, we were talking about the relationship that Brendan's got to forge. It's the three of them together are, are how you've got to think of Liverpool. It's not just one person. It, it's three elements working incredibly well and the question's right to think that Liverpool are in a really good state going forward, whatever happens this year, because it's a young squad as well. 
and it's still got money in the bank. There's still, there's still money to play with after the, the sales. And if the recruitment continues at the quality it's been, it will be a very strong team for years to come. Mm -hmm. Flip side question after Derby weekend from Jonathan Allen. Has Marco Silva turned the corner? It's hard to say that after one game, but they certainly he certainly um, set up Everton very well at the weekend, I thought, to frustrate Liverpool. And, you know, he, he also he went out to win that game. You know, he saw after sort of 60 minutes that they were still in it and that Liverpool were perhaps... He felt they were there for the taking and he made those changes, taking Theo Walcott off, who was a little bit under par, I thought, bringing Richarlison on, who, who was so effective. So he, he, he was positive. He made positive changes and the Everton fans will love him for that. So hopefully, yes, although, you know, you have to look at the last derby and they were in that right till the bitter end. Um, and the end was bitter, wasn't it? So, you know, hopefully it's not just a one-off for the derby. I think, you know, we need to give him a bit more bit more time after that that derby game to see if he can continue in that vein yeah okay uh, Simon uh, McCulloch talks about the first signs of complacency in the first half of Manchester United against Southampton did the players or Ollie turn it around <laughs> I mean this incredible run that sort 30, of goes 30, on and 32 points out of 36 yeah we're looking for sort of small chinks in the armour yeah they were a bit flat I mean you know they they way under strength anyway in terms of their selection because of injuries and they did turn it around you know the the the, the match winner was Romelu Lukaku who I think Solskjaer has managed fantastically well because he's you know he's actually dropped him but he's kept him on side enough that he can then bring him back in and get the best out of him that's pretty good management behind the scenes um did Solskjaer do anything sensational tactically no but he's created this environment where they believe they can win and they're going to go for it all the time and it's happening it's like you know that they are they are winning so i'd give them a lot of credit but also you've got to say lukaku was pretty sensational mm. he's kind of brought this mantra in like, we're man united yeah. like he keeps Solskjaer keeps saying yeah. that to the press and it's like the players are going oh yeah we are man united we do score last yeah. minute winners we're gonna win. <laughs> yeah yeah Stu just asks about aaron wambisaka He's barely put a foot wrong since his debut. Could a move away from Selhurst Park be a mistake? He's thinking in terms of Zahar and Manchester United, where, you know, frankly, you know, he ends up in digs in Stockport and doesn't fulfil himself. Yeah. Um, and Wan-Bissaka has been quite strongly linked with, with Manchester yeah. United as well, so it could possibly be a similar path. It's, it's a, I mean, it obviously is a risk. It's a risk for any player, a young player, to, to leave the club where they've broken through. But for Wan-Bissaka, if, if he sees that as a, an opportunity he wants to take, I, I don't think he should let Zaha's, you know, what happened with Zaha affect him. He's a different player, different personality. So, yes, it's a risk, but it's one that if he's an ambitious player, he probably will take. But, you know, he's a perfect state symbol of someone who's come out of the academy and, and seized his, yeah. his chance. I just want to end this by looking at the welfare of young players. I thought Prince William's intervention was probably as most significant as FA president. Is this a debate that football needs to have but shies away from? Yeah, I, I, I really thought it was a great intervention and it is, and it probably shies away from it because it uncovers uncomfortable things about the game, which is how much of an industry it really is behind the carapace of, of, you know, emotion, glitzy excitement and so on. It is, it is being treated as an industry and academies are being 
treated as, you know, with some clubs as money-making factories where even if the players aren't using the first team, they're just an asset. And I think that's the commodification of, of young people at the age now of five, six, when they come into academies, is something that makes me pretty uneasy about the game. And of course, it is leading to mental health problems and vulnerabilities among those players. And, and we, we, we do need to keep hammering at this. I don't think, you know, Prince William's not the, the first person, you've, you've written a great book about it, Mike. We need to keep hammering at this and we, we need to maybe be a bit more open about what do we want for our young people? What do we want for them going into football clubs? Do we really want kids being taken out of school situations at very young ages to get their shot at glory? I'm not sure I would want my kids to be in that situation, for example. What do you think, Sarah? You look at this, let's look at it sort of strategically, big picture. You've got the PFA who are paid, well, they get unearned income of about 27 million a year from the Premier League through television income. They say they do a lot of work in that area, but to be perfectly frank, having studied it pretty deeply, I don't see too much evidence of that. Are we in a situation where the system needs independent support structures to be put in place, supported by the FA and the Premier League? And I'm thinking there's an organisation called PlayersNet who've done a lot of work over a number of years. Uh, they can't get any strategic support. Now, I think that's where the whole system falls down. Mm. Yeah, because nobody's taking responsibility for these kids, you know. Yeah. And they are kids. Yeah, it almost feels like the clubs are saying, well, they're out of our hands, they're not our responsibility. And then, so like you said, something needs to be there to to fill the gap and to to look after them and, and, and help move them on to whatever's next. Um, with the amount of money in the game, it seems crazy that there isn't funding for a company like, uh, set up like PlayersNet to to have the resources to do that properly. Because without the resources, you know, it's it, with the numbers, it's, it's going to be a real struggle. Yeah, as you say, great game, terrible industry. Yeah, so, you know, Gareth Southgate was, was, was right about that, wasn't he? We can't lose sight of the fact that they're young people. They're not footballers. They're young people first and foremost. Um, and that, there probably needs to be a change in supporters as well. Because, you know, I'm now sort of maybe slightly going off piece, but you just look at how harsh fans can be on young players coming into first teams and maybe not being immediately up to scratch. We've, we've got to remember these are people. The kids forget the fact that they might earn a lot of money at the end of it. They're kids, and, and, and that has to be at the front of everyone's thinking. Well, young players are the raw material that feeds a harsh, often brutal game. Football needs to be more aware of its duty of care, and that means funding an independent support system. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.